Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 51 of the MMA Outsiders. Tom Albano here along with Zan Bando as always. And Zan, I think we need to rename our show. I think we need to rename our show to The Sugar Show because that's going to be most of what we talk about today. UFC 292, was it the most spectacular card? No, but Sean O'Malley. Well, you know what, Sam? The UFC banked on Sean O'Malley being a big star, and he's now delivered on that, becoming the new UFC bantamweight champion. Plus, Whaley Zhang putting in a dominant performance. We'll talk about all that. We've got the PFL playoffs. They had one New York City card. They had to have another uh, today, actually, later today. And then there's the whole Connor and Chandler stuff, which is a heavy disappointment. So, Zan, how are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing well, Tom. It's Crazy to think that we're almost uh, we're almost in September, which is probably one of the as you and I both know, watching this sport for a long time. That the fall is usually one of those ones where once we hit week one of the fall, we think, oh, this is going to go by really slow, and then it ends up going really fast. So I'm just mentally preparing myself for the madness that is going to be September through the end of November. How about how about you, Zan? You knowing my real, my outside MMA profession, you know I'm very sad about September coming around. But September does bring out all the best, you know, they have all these uh, fight hypes. We got uh, Abu Dhabi coming up in October. We got the Garden coming up in November. We got a couple of big boxing fights along the way. So, yeah, hopefully this is one that goes by pretty quick with all the exciting action. And of, and of course, there's football on the side, but obviously that's not here or there with MMA. But before we get started into anything, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench Network, including every episode of the MMA Outsiders. Uh, to my right, as always, is Zan Bando, my co-host. You can find his work over at BJPen.com, and he's a, a member of the Bellator Rankings Committee. So you can follow him also at ZanBando99 across social media. And then I'm Tom Albano. You can find my work over at Fansided MMA, as well as with the PFL for the fight recaps for every event for the 2023 season. You can find my you can follow me on social media at Thomas J. Albano. All right. And also, those of you who are listening on uh, ACAST, by the way, in our audio only platforms, make sure to check out the video feed uh, on our YouTube channel. Just past 500 subscribers. Those of you watching on YouTube, we thank you for your support and make sure to follow us on the uh Audio only platforms as well. Okay, now we're ready to go into the story. So, Zan, obviously, most of what we'll talk about today is UFC 292, the upcoming card in Singapore, the two PFL playoff cards with New York City. But we would be remiss if, Zan, we did not mention the elephant in the room, which is we gave that deadline. We said they got to announce something by UFC 292. And then the day of UFC 292, an interview drops with Dana White. It wasn't with the UFC. It was another platform. And ultimately, Zan, Dana White says that Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler will not happen in December at UFC 296. The plan, according to Dana White, is for early 2024. Now, this also brought about a response from McGregor very recently on social media in a series of voice tweets where he basically said that he said that he wants the fight with Chandler to happen in December, but basically they aren't letting him without giving a clear indication as to the who the they are, whether it's a UFC or USADA. I'm speculating, Zan, has that thought that we didn't think was going to happen because it's Conor McGregor actually happened and USADA rejected an exemption for him? Yeah, that would be my guess, considering if you listen to the voice tweets uh, carefully, he mentions Bob Bennett, who obviously is a fixture in the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and I feel like partially the reason for it is a USADA issue and not a UFC issue. But my theory, and it's been said by other content creators and MMA media people in the space, that I think the UFC has been so silent about this fight is because 
this is just my speculation. I don't know this for a fact, but based on the information that I've gathered, it seems to me like there's some sort of non-disclosure agreement where the UFC cannot say certain things surrounding this fight, which is why every single time we hear an update on the fight, we hear the same answer over and over and over again because they can't get to the crux, the real reason why this fight isn't happening. And I really do think just based on what Connor was talking about, that it, that it has to be a USADA issue, not a UFC issue. Because I think this fight's been signed for a while, either verbally or, or pen to paper. I think it's more so just been the other stuff, the logistics around it, um, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, we were kind of talking off the air before we, before we came on um, at the time we're recording this. And we were talking about how, you know, this fight not happening in December could end up being a blessing in disguise for the promotion, considering that the upcoming Super Bowl is going to be in Las Vegas in February. And Dana had hinted at last year's Radio Row just briefly that he was targeting holding a UFC pay-per-view in Vegas for Super Bowl weekend, which would make McGregor versus Chandler, assuming that they're still working on that fight, a perfect backdrop for February. So even though this fight is being delayed, it might end up being a blessing in disguise for everyone involved. Now, the only issue I see to that, Dan, it's already August. The data comes out August 23rd. So Super Bowl weekend would be a little less than six months away. If USADA has rejected an exemption for McGregor for a December fight, I don't know if they're going to approve something for Super Bowl weekend if it's going to be bad, if it's not going to reach the six month, uh, especially if it's not going to reach the six months. Yeah, so I guess to piggyback off that point, um, if you're the UFC and you have to move on, um, just taking a hypothetical, let's assume that this fight just just can't happen. Logistically, they've tried everything. The fight can't happen. How do you move forward with this fight? And and if so, you know what what would be next for both guys in your opinion? Just realistically, assuming that this fight doesn't come to fruition the way we think it's going to see. Here's the thing with Chandler and that, if that happens, Chandler may have to play a little bit of a waiting game only because I don't know. Obviously we got a a number of young up and comers with the lightweight division. Those who are making their rise towards the top of the ranks. Like the first name to come off my head is a Fiziev, but I don't know if you necessarily can give that kind of fight to a Chandler I don't know how you can't give Chandler a big name next because, you know, as much as we talk about Conor McGregor not being involved in the title picture, not having won a meaningful fight since November of 2016, he's still one of the top names in the sport because of all he's done. So as much as Chandler's also coming off, I want to say he's coming off a lot. I don't know how you do this for how I don't know how you just go from, hey, you know, you were going to fight Conor McGregor, and now you're going to fight some guy where if you lose, all of a sudden you take a hit down to like 7 to 10 in the lightweight rankings. I I just don't know how that's possible. I feel like you got to give Chandler somebody in like the top three if you can't give McGregor. Okay, and I guess the follow-up to that would be, do you believe Dana when he said on that very podcast where he revealed that this fight would not be taking place in 2023, do you believe Dana when he says, that you have an ultimate fighter season, you have the two coaches compete against one another and they don't fight. He he called it in his words ridiculous. Do you do, do you agree with him when he says that it would be Dan, what if I said that if this fight doesn't come to fruition, especially especially it not happening this year, it, then tough 31, especially with the way it played out, was an absolute waste. I mean you already had, you know, just how bad the whole prospects versus veterans format ended up playing out. You talk about how, you know, we've talked about on Tough Enough how basically the whole season was just the whole, it seemed like a whole thing just to, you know, the Connor show basically, as we're getting ready for a Connor McGregor comeback, supposedly. And now this fight ends up not happening. And definitely at least not in 2023, and we don't know when it would happen in early 2024. Season 31 of Tough Zan is uh, was just a waste, and I think you even you alluded to it when we were talking about the most overhyped and disappointing season in Tough history, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time, Tom, that you watched a Tough season 
and didn't know when the two coaches were going to fight? The answer is the answer is never. I mean, obviously we have some exceptions like McGregor and Faber were never going to fight. Right, um, but that was but, but what I'm but, but what I'm saying is is minus minus that were exception. Every single coach's fight that's ever taken place, we knew when and the fight was going to be. This is the only one where we simply didn't know, which is which is what made it super unique and very bizarre. Uh, and, like, and by that stretch, very disappointing. Mm-hmm. And to hear Dana say that it was a that it was a great season, I'm not sure if I'd buy that. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Like I said, I like I said on on our last show of Tough Enough, I, I think that Dana and company need to basically go back to the drawing board and consider if Tough is you know should even still be a thing in well what well, obviously the 2023 season happened, but in 2024, especially when we talked about you know, the connection to reality television where, you know, tough came during a time where reality television was the next big thing. And, you know, people were so invested in it in 2005. And now it's, you know, it's 20 years later. And now, I mean, Zan, you look at like the contender series and you see all the stars that come. we're going to be talking about Sean O'Malley, who came from the contender series. Now, Zan, two UFC champions have come out of the contender series. So, I don't want to give Tough any disrespect because Tough brought us plenty of UFC champions and Hall of Famers as well. But, you know, the, is the Contender Series more, I guess, relevant for the kind of era that we are in in mixed martial arts? I would argue the answer is yes. I mean, you look at every Tuesday night, it's live fights. You don't know you don't know what to expect. Um, and the fights are pretty much always entertaining. And for those who follow the sport closely... You already know some of the names that are going to be competing on these shows just because they've been on Fight Pass in the past and whatever. So you already have some sort of a connection to all of these fighters going into it, whereas with the Ultimate Fighter, you have to wait every single week to know what's going to happen next. The Contender Series, you can find the next crop of talent in two hours and 45 minutes every single Tuesday for 10 weeks in a row in the fall and move on with your evening. So I think the Contender Series is good for the modern-day crowd. It's good for the crowd kind of like me in the Gen Z era where my generation has short attention spans. And uh, it was actually interesting. I was reading a, a Nielsen study the other day, and one of the top uh, sports for Gen Zers with short-form content is mixed martial arts for the sole purpose that these, these fights can be repurposed into 30-second clips and you don't have to watch the entire fight if you don't uh, if you don't have a means to. And I think the contender series fits the newer generation, whereas tough, you have to be a part of a bit of an older generation to fully understand the reality TV aspect. And I'm kind of tired of the show, honestly. I mean, I was hoping for more house drama uh, with this season, and that really didn't happen until the end of it. But yeah, I mean, it just feels like every year it feels like it's the same repetitive thing over and over and over again. And there's no substance. There's no change. The only crazy show format was the prospects versus veterans, which you had alluded to a few minutes ago, didn't work. And I agree with you. And I don't know. I just think the, the, the UFC has kind of moved on. And I think the contender series and the road to the UFC and looking for a fight and all of these other mini shows that they have is a better way to produce talent today than maybe it would have in 2005. In 2005, it made sense. Because you didn't have a huge crop of talent. You didn't have a huge roster. There were multiple MMA promotions gunning for the UFC to where you needed reality TV to gain exposure to the sport. Now, with the sport being its own running machine, I don't think you need that as much anymore. Plus, you add in the fact, Sanda, you talk about just how formatted Tough has become and a lack of house draw. I feel like, you know, as you kind of alluded to, with Gen Z, and the younger generations, you talk about repurposing fights that, you know, hey, you don't have to watch every single minute of every single fight. You can just get the main stuff. I mean, Zan, look, Sean O'Malley's clip was already purchased. I mean, was already uploaded to uh, to YouTube. You didn't even have to purchase the pay-per-view to see the finish because of how they're trying to market O'Malley for this next generation of mixed martial arts. And you add the lack of house drama. I think, Zan, sometimes that house drama with the reality TV aspect lured in, you know, 
like the younger, I guess, would be my generation and the older would be your Gen X is to watching tough and getting that exposure to the UFC. So it's like the modern tough format is alienating all of the audience. Oh, for sure. And I just think with the with the essence of streaming and the essence of more people, you know, ditching cable for, you know, OTA and just streaming boxes and whatever, people want to be able to binge watch things. And The Ultimate Fighter has never been a show where the whole season is posted and you can watch every episode at your leisure. You have to wait every single week. Whereas with Contender Series, you can tune in whenever you want. You can rewind and fast forward to any individual fight that you want, and then it's up instantaneously if you <laughs> if you miss it. And I think it draws more eyeballs to the younger crowd because people want things with with immediacy and they want it they want it right away. And and I think Sam, the issue you have with binging that I'm just thinking about now is, you know, think about it. We're MMA media people. You know that the minute it gets released, the MMA media people, they're going to watch it all very quickly. And then within a few hours, it's going to be revealed who's going to be fighting in the finale anyway, which is going to kind of ruin the purpose of watching the show. Yeah, given our, I guess, given the way we do things in that space, yeah, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. So like you said, maybe, like we said, maybe tough is just, maybe tough has become passe at this point. It could, it could, it could very well be. I mean, I think the formula that you need for tough is you need two coaches with, with, with a backstory, which I'm not saying McGregor and Chandler didn't have that, but I'd say the ingredients is you need, you need a backstory. You need relatively good um, up and comers and you need, you need tension in the house. And if you don't have those three things, then you don't have a successful recipe for success. Um, or excuse me, not a successful recipe for success. You you don't have you don't have the correct formula for a successful season. And I think that's what they're missing. And truly, I just think it's gotten so out of touch. And now there's more, you know, emphasis on power slap now that I feel like, you know, tough is not getting the same treatment that it once did. They're they're now like branching off and doing other things. So where I just think, you know, if you want to sign prospects, you know, you need to do it in a median format. I think contender series fits it. What I think we're going to eventually see, Tom, is there's so many fighters that there's no way, no how that the UFC can do contender series once a year. You're going to you're going to see a year where the UFC will try everything in their power to make contender series either a, either a year round thing or a multi year round thing, just because now we're out of COVID and now more fighters want to be into the promotion. I think you could very well see a scenario where the contender series is. Is uh, is shown multiple times over a course of a single I, year. I could totally see a spring season and a fall season. You, you could, okay, could. yeah. Which actually might even be better for the show anyway, considering how much the UFC loves it. So, mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd be, on, I, I'd be on for that. It would make it would make Tuesdays a normal routine. So, yeah, almost almost like a pro sports season in a sense. So, yeah. All right, moving on from that, San, I want to also make mention of a recent headline that kind of caught my attention because it's the only other thing we're going to do before we get into the recaps and previews. Colby Covington, uh, basically the rumor had been, and we even talked about that, that UFC 295 Madison Square Garden, you would have John Jones, Steve Miocic, heavyweight title fight as the main event, and then maybe Leon versus Colby for the welterweight title as your co-main. According to Colby Covington, and I saw this coming courtesy of MMA Junkie. Apparently, that is not going to happen. And Colby is pointing the finger at his old friend, John Jones, and basically saying that it's John Jones who doesn't want him on the UFC 295 card. And then, I mean, fair or foul? Because I could totally see Jones only doing this because we talked about how Jones Stipe, this could be the retirement fight for either of them. And I guess maybe he's concerned that Colby and the way that he is at press conferences and his, you know, character, you know, I guess character is the best word for, for, you know, his uh, in cage appearances might uh, cause a bit of a stir because, you know, Colby would bring up John Jones's uh, criminal history. Yeah. And he would probably make fun of him. Um, Going back to their days as collegiate roommates too. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that it would get ugly really fast, and 
although it might end up being one of the most entertaining press conferences of all time, which we would lose out on. Um, unfortunately, it would be like a top five UFC press conference ever. I, I, I think it makes sense from the champion's perspective that he wouldn't want a distraction um, like Colby Covington on the card, just considering how big the heavyweight title fight is, and they want to uh, reserve that as much as they can. So um, it, 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 makes, it makes total sense. Also, I totally see this. Like, I also can totally see this, and in the perspective of, well, you know what? We talked about, you know, months ago when we ha- started to have our doubts about Connor and Chandler. We're like, oh, are they going to move Jones Stipe off of the Garden then to Las Vegas? But now, come to think of it, with this story coming out, if it's true, Connor and Chandler isn't going to happen. Is there a chance? And they even talked about it on the pay per view. Is there a chance? Does that mean Leon Colby as a, either a main or a co main for 296 in Vegas? It could very well be possible. And I know you don't want to hear it, but I have to ask this question anyway. If somehow, some way, John Jones or Steve Amiochi pulls out of this fight, what does the what does the UFC do? I mean, they announced. They said they were going to announce a two ninety five co main event soon. I feel like they got to at some point. Well, yeah, I mean, and it could have very well been Colby Covington versus Leon Edwards until Colby Covington said that. So, and then, the, and then the thought process was going to be Stephen Thompson versus Kamara Usman. But then Ian Gary wins his fight, has the call out of Thompson, and now you got Dana claiming that Thompson. He immediately called Thompson. Thompson turned down the fight. So I don't know whether to believe that or not fully, knowing that it's Dana. But this is putting a, this is putting two ninety five in a questionable situation. Dan, I would assume, even though it's Jones Stepe and you want to run that fight, I feel like for two ninety five you're going to have to get Pavlovich as the backup fighter. Mm-hmm. Which uh, which would be disappointing, and for sure would make the tickets a little bit. Less expensive, if you will, if that if that if that if that, <laughs> maybe if that, some of us can afford to go then. Yeah, if that if that happened. Uh, and for those of you who are thinking of getting tickets, currently on the market right now, the cheapest ticket that you can buy is five hundred and fifty-two dollars. The most expensive ticket is north of about fourteen thousand. So, just this FYI for those who are for those who are waiting it out and hoping for a catastrophe to happen you still have a couple more months to wait because uh knowing no, knowing what happens when a big john jones fight gets announced you know that you you know that there's always going to be a situation and i'm just mentally preparing myself that somehow way the fight does not happen so stay off the weed do you in do you in all likelihood actually think that John Jones um some or some way does not make it to Madison Square Garden in November? I'm going to hold out hope, Zan. Think about the concept of this fight. John Jones, Steve Miocic, two of the greatest of all time, one at heavyweight, one just of all time, period, now that he's conquered two weight classes. And both of them potentially could be retiring after this fight. This is a fight that has to absolutely happen. You're going to need Pavlovich because, like I said, if you're not going to have another championship fight for the Garden, you need something. You need at least an interim heavyweight title fight then. but Or, or at least having Pavlovich challenge Jones too because I know people have talked about that even though Stipe is, you know, Stipe is the guy at this point. Um, I could very well see a scenario where Jones somehow pulls out they make Stipe versus Sergey for the vacant title and not for the interim title. Oh, you think they would do that? You think they would strip Jones? I actually do, yeah. If it's an injury, if it's an injury, I don't see that happening. If it's an injury, I just see a vacant title. I mean, a, but, a title fight. If, if it's like a failed drug test, do you see it? No. If it's a failed if it's a failed drug test and arrest of some sort, then I absolutely agree. Then they would vacate the title. Okay. Yeah, it's this FYI. I would keep that in the back of your mind as a potential wild card if this main event does not happen as it's supposed to. So, but 
as I told you off the air, I feel like now the plan for December with no Connor versus Chandler is, and they even talked about it uh, after the show on the pay-per-view broadcast, you got three fights. Oh, they only mentioned two, but I say three because number one, as I've talked about previously, you're going to have the light. You got to have the light heavyweight title be unvacant at some point. You got to have Jerry versus Pereira. Number two, uh, this fight here with Colby Covington versus Leon Edwards. And then number three, of course, Sean O'Malley's first title offense. Like I told you off the air, I feel like two of those have to be for December. And then you take the remaining one to main event, the first uh, pay-per-view in January. Okay, and I know we're jumping around cards, but now that this Conor Chandler fight is messed up, then what do you think the UFC is thinking for UFC 300 then considering that this is becoming a bit of a mess? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think they do? Well, I mean, Zan, if you couldn't rely on Conor McGregor for UFC 200 because he had the whole thing when they were trying to make the Nate rematch, and you can't rely on Conor McGregor for an end of the year comeback for 2023, I don't know how you can rely on him for UFC 300. Unfortunately, I I know. I, I mean, I mean, UFC 300 would take place in the projection would be April. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you hold out hope that maybe Conor McGregor gets, we talk about the six months with a potential USADA rejection, I mean, exemption rejection. Could you hold out hope that he re-enters the USADA pool by October 1st, so that way you can get it for UFC 300? No, I think you have to start thinking backup plans immediately, considering what past history has told us. Yeah. Do you hope then that O'Malley gets a quick, win in his first title defense for him to headline UFC 300? 1,000% yeah. But the, but you have to hope then it's not a war. If, say, he and Cheeto Vera have a big war for his first title defense that goes five rounds and they batter one another, he may not yeah. be there in time. Yeah, so you have to hope it's a quick win. You have to hope a lot of things go well, but I think if the UFC is smart, they're already looking ahead and thinking, you know, UFC 300, Sean O'Malley, the main event would be would be massive. Yeah, and and if not him, I mean, do you have maybe the Islam Oliveira two winner on that card for, to defend the lightweight title? I could see it, or you could see, uh, or you could see Hamza Jamayev challenging for a title and three hundred also, which would. Oh, be I was, I was thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking Israel. I was thinking Israel, but I mean, do you, if Israel beats Strickland? Then do you have you know for the sake of three hundred? Do you have Hamzat jump DDP for a title shot? Mm, I don't know because wouldn't wouldn't they want DDP versus Israel to be international though? That's the I Zan. My personal opinion is that the UFC screwed up by having Australia on such short notice, giving the Whitaker DDP winner in this case DDP not enough time for that quick turnaround. I feel like they owe it to DDP. And that's not, again, that's not just because I'm on the DDP high train. I would have said the same thing about if Rob Whitaker couldn't make it to Australia in September. My theory is that Israel versus DDP is going to take place at UFC 299. I mean, that Adesanya beats Strickland. That's my my prediction. They're going to make the event before UFC 300, the DDP fight. Okay, so then I'm going to throw one more wild card out there. Okay. Right before we start, right before we start to talk about the Sean O'Malley fight, uh, if if it's the case then that you need a backup plan for UFC 300, and you you know for o- and O'Malley might be the person that you might want to you know protect at all costs. Do you then not do two title fights in December? Do you just have Leon Colby in December? Have say Yuri and uh, Pereira in January to kind of protect the you know give all the chance in the world that O'Malley versus Vera could headline your UFC 300 card. Yeah, I, I could very well see a scenario where the end of the year card is just one title fight. And then and then hold O'Malley's first title defense, even though it would be a while from August to April. Maybe you got it for the, for the sake of 300 if you can't get Conor Chandler. Yeah, and given what O'Malley does outside of the octagon, I'm sure he would be okay with about a five, six-month break anyway. So... Yeah, and then and then if Connor Chandler does come to fruition, does you Connor does get in the pool by October first? Then you have Connor versus Chandler plus um, and a co-main event, which could be O'Malley versus Vera, which would be insane. 
100%. I think any way that the UFC slices or dices at UFC 300 will be heavily debated um, in regards to how they to how they did it once it's officially announced. It'll be very interesting. Yeah, so a lot of questions with the UFC cards now as a result of Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler being all. This is, this is a bit of an outlier, though. Do you think the winner of Grasso Shevchenko 2 could make a quick turnaround and be a co-main event for the, for the end of the year card in December, or do you think that's not a possibility? If either of them does, if the winner doesn't take too much damage, like if Shevchenko regains with like a first or second round domination, I could see it happening. Mm-hmm. Just, just curious. It was one last final out or that I had considering I actually am looking at the card on my second stream right now to see what other fights they've added. And actually the card is near to complete, which I was very surprised about. Um, but yeah, yeah, very, very healthy debate. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next several months. Are you excited to talk about the UFC 292 main event now? Yeah, let's just, you know, we talked about O'Malley so much in the two news stories. Let's just jump right into it. The Sugar Show has officially arrived. He is the new UFC Bantamweight champion. Second round TKO of one Aljamain Sterling. And Zan, the way UFC 292 was playing out with like, the exciting prelims with the disappointing main card, Zan, I was thinking to myself after that first round, like it was going to be exactly what I thought it was going to be in which Sterling would basically wrestle to, to use the expletive term, throw it around on social media, wrestle F word O'Malley into a unanimous decision. But then O'Malley, he clips him with a right hand in the second round, catches him coming in and just wails on it with the ground and pounds. I know they were questioning the stoppage, but Sterling never protested it. He ate some decent shots on the ground. I thought it was a good stoppage. And, you know, Zan, what else can I say? O'Malley proved me wrong. O'Malley proved me wrong. He is the champion. And all the best to him. I'm happy for him. Yeah, I'm happy for him, too. And uh, I guess as as much as it was a positive, it was a negative for you because it ruined a perfect pick card. You, you one had- fight! That was the one fight I got wrong! <laughs> It's probably and and you've been picking fights for a while. Is is that the best? Is that the best pick card you've ever you've ever had? I, I think I had. <laughs> I think this is actually the second time this year where I was one fight away from a perfect from a perfect uh, prediction. That is absurd. But yeah, anyway, Sean O'Malley looked absolutely insane. He went out and did what he said he was going to do. Um, really. I mean, I mean, it's just it. I mean, he was literally super poised, composed, um, competitive, picked his shots well, found an opening, rocked Sterling in literally in almost identical fashion to when Conor McGregor knocked out Josie Aldo. It was um, it was almost like the Matrix just came down and said, yeah, we're going to we're going to duplicate this all over again. And that's literally that's literally what happened. And I just, I just thought it was, I thought it was cool. I thought it was interesting. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen an arena cheer openly for someone that wasn't in that home region um, over, over the other guy, which is very interesting. It seemed to me like in Boston, there was just more Sean O'Malley support than Sterling support. That card felt big. That card felt like it was a milestone event. It definitely seemed like to me the best Boston event that the UFC he's ever put on in terms of an atmosphere and it just looked, it looked, it looked insane on TV. I could not imagine what it was like uh, in person. I mean, the energy that that Boston crowd gave off Zan, you could compare to the time. I think it was January of 15 when McGregor fought Seaver in Boston. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That one was, that one was big because that was with all the win attendance and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely Sean O'Malley winning is exactly, you know, kind of what we alluded to last week. This is exactly what the UFC was looking for. They were looking for a highlight reel knockout. They were looking for a new star in the UFC bantamweight division. They were looking for flashy. They were looking for brash, flamboyant. Um, O'Malley fits all of those adjectives. And I, I think assuming he plays his cards right, I could see him be the champion for a while. And that certainly sets up a lot of exciting matchups. You have Marab in the mix. You have a Peter Yan rematch, which would be absolutely sick. Um, you, you have the Sterling fight still out there. I mean, Sean O'Malley is going to have some very intense rivalries over the next three years, and he's going to be 
the most hated villain in the sport of MMA and as well as the most beloved. I think he's going to be the new version of Notre Dame football. You either love Notre Dame football or you hate Notre Dame football. And I think I think he could become that that heel that the UFC has been looking for for the last several years. And just from an unbiased observer perspective, I mean, how could you not love it from a, from a business standpoint? I mean, now you have a guy who who loves to talk trash, has been very open in saying that, you know, oh, I don't have a manager. I'm really my own businessman. Like he's doing things that very few fighters have been able to do. And I think if he plays his cards right, he has the aura of like, you know, what Chuck Liddell was and what Connor was. And I mean, you know, I, I really do think he could be that, he could be that big star that makes, you know, Bantamweight one of the best divisions in the sport and definitely, you know, brought in a lot of new fans, probably a lot of fans that didn't really know, you know, what the UFC was, but they knew who Sean O'Malley was. I mean, that guy is a, that guy's a brand on his own. And uh, he's, I think he's going to be making waves for the next several years, assuming he plays his cards right. It's going to be a, it's going to be a very exciting title run, no matter if he loses um, in his first title defense or he defends the title for the next three or four years. I, I think it'll be very exciting. For sure. And the reason we keep bringing up Cheeto, I mean, obviously Cheeto and Sean O'Malley have the history. Cheeto is the only one who has defeated O'Malley professional MMA. But I mean, as we kind of alluded to during our pre-show talk, uh, they mentioned Sanhagen. We, we had said that he was going to be out for all of 2023 with the injury that he suffered a few weeks ago. But according to pay-per-view broadcast, it might be longer than that. It might stretch into even January, February, March of 24. So Sanhagen's going to be out of the picture for a little while. And they even mentioned Marab, which I didn't realize Marab is heading into surgery. So we don't know how long Marab is going to be out of action for. So I guess, Zan, at this point, I mean, the, depending on their recovery, because we talked about potentially uh, O'Malley headlining UFC 300, I mean, potentially maybe Mar- if Marab comes back and is ready to go for April, you could run that fight. Otherwise, maybe the UFC, especially if they want him to headline uh, the December, maybe UFC may not have any choice but to do the Cheeto rematch. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm already thinking ahead because I'm insane. But could you... <laughs> Could you could you imagine a scenario, Tom, where Marlon Vera beats Sean O'Malley in their um, in their fight, and then immediately turn right around to Cheeto versus Sean O'Malley too in in Rio de Janeiro? Meaning that Sean O'Malley will have to go to Marlon Vera's backyard to win back his UFC bantamweight title. Oh, you mean be- three? You mean three? By the way, yeah, yeah, three. But well, two in this. Two in terms of title fights, three in terms of yes. the Usman Leon thing. Yes, one thousand, one thousand percent. Yeah, that would be really interesting, though. If they, if the, I'm wondering if the commission would allow that that kind of quick turnaround. Well, no, I, I'm just wondering what do you think an atmosphere in Brazil would be like for O'Malley to try to get, assuming oh, he'd be booed out of the building. That that would be one of the most electric international atmospheres, arguably. In, in in UFC history, the scene there would just be would just be ridiculous. One but, last one last thing, yeah, by the way, uh, Aljo. They, we talked about potential of him moving up to featherweight. I I had said even if he had retained the title against O'Malley, I feel like Volkanovski would murder him at featherweight. And I mean, he even kind of recognized that Volkanovski said he has an interest in the fight because Sterling lost. I mean, what what at this point is next for Sterling because featherweights. Featherweight's a no, right? You can't do that at featherweight. No, you, no, you can't do featherweight. Um, I honestly think he has to wait it out. I think he needs to wait it out for a potential rematch in the future. And he really has no one else left to fight. I mean, he's not going to fight Marab. And I think he's proved himself at Bantamweight. He's beat all the best Bantamweights in the world. I think Sterling can sit back and wait for as long as he needs to, um, to, be, to be quite frank, considering... You know, he's fought one to two times a year, every year for about the last decade or so. And he's proved everything. So for, I agree. Especially I, because I, I think he needs to play the waiting game and see how the rankings play out. I, I agree, especially because we just talked about his body and his skills. Somebody like a Volkanovsky would have his way. But I don't think he has the body to drop another 10 pounds and try a run at flyweight. I feel like no. he might have to play the waiting game. 1,000%. All right, 
Speaking of the lower weight classes, co-main event, Whaley saying Amanda Lemos, I mean, Zan. 200 and something strikes to like 21. It wasn't even close. Yeah, I mean, this was an absurd domination. Um, and I mean, it just goes to show that Whaley is just a freaking beast. I mean, her next fight, no matter who it's against, hoping against, hoping that it is against Yao Xiaonan, which would be insane. Could you? Could you imagine those two in China? It would blow. They would blow the roof off the place. But um, n- nonetheless, looked very, very good in her return. Defended her strawweight title. Really, just had her way with Amanda from the second the fight started. I just don't think uh, Blamosh was prepared for you know just Zhang just taking her down at will and just dominating her in literally every second of the fight. I think Blamosh was probably expecting more of a striking clinic, and it didn't happen. I just think it was one of those things where just Zhang is such a dominant champion that I don't think I think Lamosh may have underestimated how good she actually was. And it'll definitely be a learning experience for her. But I think it just goes to show that that Zhang is 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 a dominant straw weight and arguably the best straw weight um ever. No disrespect to Rose or Carla or any of them, but clearly this performance is the best performance I've ever seen from her, and I think she's going to be holding the belt for quite for quite some time. What do you What do you think? I do. I think that Whaley is just she is on another level. The fact that she ran that she had the two fights with Joanna running through her in the second fight, the beatdown that she put here, I think that she is going to potentially run at Charlie Reina Charlie, like you said, for a while. And Zan, I won't lie. I kind of am tempted to want to see Valentina regain the flyweight title so that way somehow we can get that Whaley Zhang versus Valentina fight since we're never going to get new Ned Shevchenko 3. Yeah, I mean, I think that fight that you just that you just mentioned, I think is I think is more more likely now than maybe it would have been a couple years ago. I think if Valentina beats beats Grosso, Valentina can do whatever she wants and this would be this would be one badass super fight. I think Dana would be all ears if uh, if if the timing worked out perfectly. For sure. All right, moving on with the rest of the card. Ian Gary. So we talk about domination, just flat out domination. A little disappointed he didn't get finished. I feel like there were opportunities, although Neil Magny is a really tough son of a gun. But yeah, Ian Gary, man, uh, he's ready for the next level. He's ready for a top ten opponent now. Yeah, he's he's ready for the next level. He's ready for a top ten opponent. Do do you see a quick turnaround for Ian Gary? Do you see him competing on that MSG show, or do you think they're going to wait till early twenty twenty three to really ease him in and give him the three or four fights that he's looking for? Because it's obvious that he's soaking up all of this knowledge. He's literally a sponge going all over the world to try to become the best fighter he can possibly be. Do you think they're going to keep? Am active, or do you think they're going to keep giving him strategic fights, you know, to help build his name in the rankings? Obviously, Magny's a big win, but what do you what do you think you do with Ian Gary from here? And uh, I I personally think it makes a, a UFC return to Ireland all that more likely in twenty four, and I could very well uh, see him headline that card no matter who it ends up being against. I'm I'm not exactly a hundred percent certain on what we could potentially do with Ian Gary because I mean. The plan, you mentioned the plan for Ireland. Yeah, it should be 24 because he wants Gary on the Madison Square Garden Garden November. So he needs a top 10 opponent, but he would need him in very quick fashion. The plan was, according to Dana, Wonderboy Thompson, and he says Thompson already rejected the fight. I don't know if I buy him, but also I understand from Thompson's perspective, if you're being linked to a potential fight with Kamaru Usman, you'd obviously want the Usman fight. So... I mean, above Gary now in the rankings, because Gary's now ranked number 11. You got Vicente Luque, Sean Brady, Jeff, and Jeff Neal. And then there's Wonderboy. Do you hope, I mean, do you hope that somebody like Neal, I don't know the circumstances of Neal's injury, if he could be ready for November? Or, because I don't know, unless you, because the UFC wouldn't do Ian Gary versus Shafkat. They're not going to take, two of their rising stars at welterweight and put them against one another. No, but I think he and Sean Brady makes a lot of sense though. Yeah, um, Sean Brady is I mean I, again, I don't I, know the circumstances about Brady though, if he'll be ready or not. Yeah, I mean and if he's if he's ready though, just stylistically it's wrestler versus striker and it would be it would be 
it would be a phenomenal fight and a potential fight of the night candidate. But again, as you alluded to, with all of these injuries and with Thompson apparently not winning the fight, Ian Gary will probably have to play the waiting game very similarly to, to Sterling and see what the heck happens. But for sure, there's no question about it that whoever Ian Gary fights next, whether it's at Madison Square Garden, whether it's in Las Vegas, whether it's in Ireland, every single fight from Ian Gary from here on out is, is going to be um, a, a, a massive fight. And, and one that I think, for those who didn't know who Ian Gary was on Saturday night, they definitely know who he is now. And I think he's going to build even a bigger fan base, uh, especially after what a dominant win he had against a guy that, you know, holds the record for the most wins in the UFC welterweight division, which is even more impressive. Elsewhere on the main card, you got Mario Batista defeating Damon Blackshear. Good win for Batista. I guess we kind of still need to see a little more because, I mean, Damon Blackshear, hats off to him for the really quick turnaround. A literally day's notice just one week after his last fight. But, you know, Batista, good win. Obviously, you would wish maybe the Garbrandt fight just for the name value. But, I mean... Maybe another fight or two, Zan, we could talk about Mario Batista potentially being ready for the next level. For sure. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, if the Cody Garbrandt fight happens, you know, how is he going to deal with someone, you know, who is who is a former champion and really is the next level up in experience? So I think uh, not to say that Damon Blackshear was a consolation because Damon Blackshear is a tough guy in himself, but this is, you know, a win where if you're a guy like Mario Batista, you beat a guy like Blackshear, you you beat him on short notice, and I think I think his trajectory is only is, is only going to go up, and he keeps performing in that way. Uh, with how with how dominant he was from the second the fight started until it ended, um, I think um, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be interesting. I will say though, Tom, one hundred percent that I think the thirty twenty seven scorecard in this fight was ridiculous. I had Batista winning at least two of the rounds, but there's no way he won round three. I, no, I it, was, it was two one. Bla- Blackshear won one around. You can't tell me Blackshear didn't win a round. I, were you going to say round three? I think it was. Um, I oh, had Blackshear. No, I had Blackshear winning round one. Yeah, no, yeah. One, it was one. Yeah, round mm-hmm. one was the Mont Blackshear's round. So I just no. It didn't make any sense that scorecard. Nevertheless, they got the winner right. So. Yeah, they then it's <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it probably would have been the biggest robbery of 2023. It would have it would have been it would have been one of the biggest it, robberies. Yeah, it, it, would have, it would have been disgusting. But yeah. Uh, speaking of Cheeto Vera, we mentioned him earlier, getting a win over Pedro Munoz. The fight, I mean, it was a good pace fight. Wasn't the most exciting, but I did feel like Cheeto was the more effective. What well, was more effective with his strikes? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's really all he needed to do. And, you know, it's just one of those wins where, you know, Cheeto needs to stay in that mix. I mean, obviously, Bantamweight is a, a bit of a mess right now. So this was a critical win for him. And, of course, um, I don't know. You, you could probably tell me this. I don't know what Pedro Munoz's new ranking is now. But he he's certainly going to still be in that mix moving into 2024. And certainly, I think Bantamweight is a lot to be excited about, even though the top half of the division is a little bit is a little bit shaky at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. But like we said, I mean, Cheeto Vera has now put himself in the position with this win that, depending on what the circumstance of what the UFC goes from here, he might be next in line for the Bantamweight battle shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the prelims, uh, Brad Tavares. I mean, it was a great... I had goosebumps seeing Chris Weidman walk out to the octagon again with uh, Tom Petty playing in the background. It was good to see the the... The leg kicks he took, though, were just absolutely brutal. It was like it, I got concerned that he was going to go down in a heap again. So, now, I mean, he fought a valiant fight. He saw the he went the distance, saw the final horn. He didn't get his hand raised. Like I said on social media, I think it's just a win in itself to see Chris Weidman make that walk and know again that he can do it. Nevertheless, with his losing streak, the injuries, I think it might be better for I think this is where Dana's right and throwing the R word out there. I think he needs to retire. Yeah, I think he needs to retire too. I mean, he's what, like one in one in six in his last seven or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he, I think he needs to retire. It was definitely a good run, very, very valiant and inspiring to see him come back in the way that he did. And 
to fight near his his, his hometown was very cool. It just it, it didn't work out for him. Obviously, a nice win for Tavares, a veteran in the sport. He's been around a long time, but yeah, most certainly, I think Weidman needs to retire, and he and if, and if he doesn't retire, he needs to consider taking a, a lesser opponent for his final fight in a fight that he actually feels he can win. But um, hopefully that second option doesn't come to fruition because I think he needs to retire. Yeah. Uh, I'll swear just because I know we're running short on time, but we were talked about tough. We had tough. We had the tough enough series. I want to give a shout out to Kurt Hallbaugh. Zan, just like the Lee Hammond fight, he, it seemed like he loses the first round and then he comes back in just spectacular fashion, gets a submission in the second. I think it was a similar submission. I know the Hammond fight was... Was it was a surprise arm triangle, mm-hmm. but yeah, just absolutely out of nowhere gets the submission, wins the lightweight tournament, and it. Like I said, it's funny how Zan. I was interviewing him a few years ago during the COVID pandemic. When he was preparing for his first fight outside of the UFC. Let's just clarify his second stint after his second stint with the UFC, and now here he is back again, and he wins tough. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable, and it just goes to show that, you know, when you get when you get second and third chances like that, you're you're, you're going to succeed on one of them, and that's exactly what he did. And without a doubt, one of the most entertaining fights of the season, and a great way to cap off a, a what we thought was going to be a bizarre finale. But the two rightful guys uh, were there at the end, and congrats to Holiba, and I wish him all the success in his. In his next UFC run, although lightweight is not an easy division to go through, so it's probably going to take him a couple of years to, to get to that upper echelon, the top 10, top five range. But uh, he's he's back where he belongs, and it's very good to see. And then in the other tough finale fight, Brad Katona has made history. He is the first ever two-time winner of tough. He and Cody Gibson, man, they were just – that was – I don't know if I can say like the comparison they made on the broadcast was to the Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner fight. I don't know if I can put it to that level, but it was that kind of style of war. And I'm happy for Brad Katona making history. Uh, I hope it seemed like they were going to give Cody Gibson a contract as well. So hopefully that is the case. Yeah, I hope that's the case too. And uh, much respect to both of those guys, the will be inked in tough history forever. And uh Hopefully we'll end up seeing a rematch down the line pretty soon when both of those guys are hopefully in contention for uh Bantamweight title shots in a couple of years. But yeah, definitely a solid way uh to end to end the Bantamweight portion of the show. And uh congrats to Katona um making tough history and uh representing SPG Ireland once again. It's good to it's good to see and uh for Gibson just leaving his heart in the octagon was really, really cool and Seems like he has a lot of support around him. And uh, yeah, I'm sure his students are immensely proud of all the work he's been able to do. And maybe depending on uh, if he starts winning a couple, maybe he devotes his his full-time um, his full-time aspirations to MMA training. He hasn't hinted at it one way or another, but um, congrats to him. And I'm sure um, if, if, he has a, if he has a sports class um, at his school, that it, it'll be somehow uh, – weaved into it that uh that Mr. Gibson, if you will, fought in one of the best fights in tough history. So it's also pretty cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. There is that kind of aspect. I, I loved all the the hearts. I love the the viral uh, I mean the video message that they gave to Cody and that was just really absolutely heartwarming. And you know, I I I hope my students gave me give me that same kind of love. That's all I can say. <laughs> That's that's awesome. As they uh, as 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 they should. Okay, pay for few outage concerns. Let's briefly briefly make mention of this because there were a number of complaints of issues over social media where we had uh, certain people like in Canada were only able at one point they could only get a French feed, and then at some point I think there was an audio issue with the UFC Fight Pass feed. I. I had a fine feed throughout San. I know some people also complain of ESPN plus here in the U S my feed was fine. It did go out though, during the walkouts for the main event, which made my heart drop dramatically. Like wondering, I had to exit out of the ESPN plus app. I went back in and then it came and then it came back up with no worries, but it, it just on a night where you've got a 
trying to make a big star like O'Malley, you can't have this happen. Yeah, you can't have this happen, and it's, and it's bizarre because, full disclosure, I was watching the same feed that you were, and I did not have those same issues. So when you sent me that, I'm like, wait, it, it didn't happen uh, for me. But the most bizarre part of the story to me were the people that had uh, had uh, took pictures of their TVs with the screen that always pops up that says, thank you for your purchase. And apparently, according to one person that I saw, that exact screen was up was up there for two hours and he missed literally over half of the pay-per-view and uh, in, in private messages with me, with me and this person, he was hoping to get at least 60% of his refund back because of how much the event he missed. But yeah, when you have a big card like this and you're on ESPN plus and you're several years into this deal, these things just can't happen and they can't happen multiple times a year. And the weird part to me is that it only happens when, the bigger UFCs occur and not when the not when the lesser UFCs occur with maybe just one title fight and one that isn't being as heavily promoted. So yeah, definitely a concern. Surprise no one asked Dana about it at the post-fight presser, but hopefully this is something that can get rectified in the future. And to me, just an overall disappointment, especially for the people who paid. I can't imagine what it was like in bars. If bars had any issues, it didn't seem like they did, but yeah, just overall a very very disappointing story in a story you don't want to hear, especially on a night when, you know, Sean O'Malley is the big star and you want to try to push the man away title fight as much as you can. So yeah, very disappointing story. All right. Very quickly, we're about to head into overtime. Just recap of the, the last PFL playoff card, Dennis Goltsov and Renan Ferrer will end up being your heavyweight final. Larissa Pacheco will be in the women's featherweight final, as we expected chance to become the first two division champ in PFL history. But it won't be against Amber Labrock. It'll be against Marina Maknikina, who just absolutely ran through Labrock. So she was impressive. Larissa Pacheco got the fight done. And I it was like a blink and you miss it. It was, what, 14 seconds long? Yeah, it was an absolutely absurd performance by her. And uh, no surprise to see her make it to the finals. And uh, Marina's going to have her work cut out for her, that's for sure. And then... Uh, Dennis Gold and it's Goldsoft and Hennon Ferreira is going to be an absolute firefight. I think that's the fight that I'm that I'm more so looking forward to seeing than the than the women's fight. I just know that 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 heavyweight final is going to be all action, and there's no way that that fight is going go in the distance. That's for that's for sure. Yeah, no, that Goldsoft versus Ferreira is going to be a banger. What did you think of the PFL? Like they were showing uh, John Jones in the corner. And they were showing the co- coaching when the knockout happened of uh, of Maurice Green. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that if that was a UFC broadcast, uh, UFC production would have gotten ridiculed for it. But because it's the PFL and because they're still building their overall audience, I think it's one of those things that production just has to take note of and know that you always have to stay on the action, especially when you know you're showing a, a vicious knockout. To m- open to a final. If you're a viewer at home, you want to be able to see every angle you can. And seeing John Jones, who isn't even a part of the PFL and is the UFC heavyweight champion, just just kind of made the situation a little bit more relevant. I know he has the relationship with Maurice Green, but still, it's not the main talking point. The main talking point is the finish, and I wish they would have highlighted that a little bit more. This weekend, we got Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie, uh, Chan Sung Jung. And as we talked about prior to our recording, Max Holloway, very heavy favorite, uh, as he should be. Korean Zombie obviously has been on a bit of a downturn. There's all the speculation that this could be his last fight, and that's why they made the fight with Holloway. And, I mean, Sam, these are two of my favorites. These are two of my absolute favorites. It does stink that they have to fight one another, but at the same time, this is going to be an absolute banger. And... I mean, Holloway is the kind of fight that both men deserve. Obviously, Holloway's proven that he can still go and still be at the top of the division other than dealing with Volkanovski and Korean Zombie for all that he's done for lighter weight classes, namely for featherweight. I mean, I feel like this is the perfect last fight for him. Granted, it's probably going to end brutally with Holloway winning. Yeah, in 45 seconds or less. Really brief breakdown of this fight. I just think Max Holloway's boxing is going to overpower the Korean Zombie. And I just think the Korean Zombie has been in so many wars over the years that I think as long as he can make this fight competitive with Holloway, that's really all you can really ask for. And I think to do it in Singapore is fitting, especially if this is 
the Green Zombies last fight. I see Max Holloway, a fourth round TKO, um, and sending the legend out on his shield, and I think it'll be very entertaining. Yeah, but I be- but I will I will say this um, for the for, for the early start time. Um, th- this is this is not what you want if you're an hardcore UFC fan. So definitely, if if people choose not to watch this card, it's totally understandable, just considering how early it is. Yeah, no, with me with no with me with uh, grad school finals, absolutely not, absolutely not. I'm going to need all the sleep in the world. I will watch this fight in the afternoon once I am fully awake. Fair, I'll probably end up doing this same thing. But yeah, I have Holloway in the fourth round. How do you? How do you have the fight? I think I have Holloway and uh, Holloway in the second. Okay. I I think it's going to be a little earlier of a uh, of a finish. Uh, let's go over, by the way, tonight's PFL card. Obviously, if you're listening to us uh, on Thursday, if you're listening to us at any point after the first uh, day of this show comes out, we're putting this out on the morning of the PFL playoff, the second PFL playoff card in New York City. So we'll recap it the next time we are on the air. Let's talk about this fight, how these fights, however, in the lightweight semifinals, you got Clay College, Shane Burgos, which is your main event. And your co-main event of the card is Olivier Aubin Mercier, the defending lightweight champion, taking on Bruno Miranda. Yeah, I mean, two high-level fights here. Um, I see Shane Burgos beating Clay Collard in the absolute classic. I just think those two are going to go in there and start swinging. And then uh, OAM, and you, you can never watch an OAM fight and tell me that it's boring. I see Bruno Miranda giving him a great fight, but I actually see OAM winning a decision over Miranda. So I actually will have Miranda and Burgos um, winning in the semifinals. And it's going to be those two um, in November for the finals. And I actually see Shane Burgos winning the, uh, winning the PFL lightweight championship. So. Oh, you see Bruno Miranda giving OAM his first PFL loss. Uh, it, It could, it could very well happen. Yeah. I just think OIM has way too much talent in this division. So I'm going to pick him to get a decision over Miranda. Shane Burgos obviously coming in also with the ver- with the controversy uh, because Roush and Mafia, uh, Roush, Mafia and Nathan Schultz both were disqualified as a result of their uh, regular season fight. Uh, Shane Burgos didn't really impress me all that much, Sander, in the regular season. And I think he and Collar are going to produce an absolute banger. But I feel like Collard has just proven more with the PFL. I'm gonna go the opposite of you. I'm gonna go with a Collard OAM final, and okay. I have and I have OAM becoming a repeat champion. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, it'll 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 definitely be interesting. But given my track record of upsets, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty I'm feeling pretty confident. So I I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. It's the PFL. There's a lot of upsets. And then we got the welterweight semifinals on this card as well to round things out for the semis. We got Sabadou Seed, the defending champ, taking on Carlos Leal. And then you got the number one seed, the former champion, the 2018 champ, the 2021 runner-up, Magomed Magomed Karamov, taking on Solomon Renfro. Magomed Umaladov has been injured, and so Solomon Renfro comes in on short notice to take this playoff fight. Yeah, I mean, C versus C versus Magomed is the fight. I mean, what more? What more can I say? I think Renfro will give Magomed a great fight. I just think Magomed's wrestling is going to be too much, and then C is probably going to have another insane highlight reel knockout. So I'm just, uh, I'm just mentally preparing myself for that. But obviously, Wheel is very tough. That could go either way. But I, I just think experience in these two is going to play a factor, and I think you're going to see the two favorites advance to the to the championship. So. I agree. This one, I agree with you 100%. Sabadou C, I think he and Leal could produce a banger, but I think C just has more in the tank to produce an absolute classic, another classic viral stoppage. And Magomed versus Solomon San, I'm a little disappointed. We're not getting the battle of the Magomeds. I think Umaladov could have given Magomed Karamov, you know, a decent run for his money. But like you said, I think Magomed Karamov's wrestling is going to be too much. I see a C Magomed final and I could see Magomed uh, Karamov getting right back to uh, the championship platform that he got five years ago. Yeah, I could very well see that too. But nonetheless, um, these semifinals should be great. And I think whatever we get in November 
um, is going to be nothing short of madness considering how crazy these PFL playoffs have been. Before we get out of here, we just want to remind you uh, to be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to follow the show all across um, our social media platforms. Of course, the Empty the Bench Podcast Network, at ETB Network, MMA Outsiders, at MMA Outsiders ETB. I am Zan Bando. I'm a staff writer for BJPen.com. You can find my work over there. You can also find my work um, as a member of the Bellator Rankings Panel, which who knows, Tom, maybe you and I will be partners at some point as soon I mean, that the news comes out that we think is going to come out. And then, of course, Tom Albano to my left. You can find his work over fan side of the MMA and be sure to tune into his work tonight for another edition of the PFL postseason over on PFL's website. So, again, we thank you very much for tuning into another episode of the MMA Outsiders. This has been in episode 51. And, of course, before we get out of here, before we tell you to enjoy the fights, uh, we just want to remind you to be Joe Piper. And, yeah, I have a have an outstanding weekend as we gear up for what will be a crazy fall. Yeah. Uh, B. Joe Piper, by the way, uh, programming note, house uh, housekeeping, uh, Zan and I will be taking off next week, so there won't be an edition of the MMA Outsiders for next week as we prepare for, as we've already alluded to on the show, a very crazy autumn in this sport and in boxing. Uh, however, be on the lookout because if that news about PFL and Bellator drops within the rest of this month that we think it's going to drop and has been teased of dropping at some point in August. Zan and I will do some form of live stream or video to discuss the news. For sure. So stay tuned for that. Uh, um, the potential, the potential merger there and, and be sure to keep it locked in on all of our social medias for all the latest happenings in the world of combat sports. So again, we thank you for joining us and we will see you um in two weeks for episode 52 with the MMA Outsiders. Take care, everyone. Take care. Everyone.